Well, good morning. How are we? It's good to see everybody here today, see some new faces. I just want to say thank you for being here. My name is Joey. I'm the lead pastor here at Vertical Life Church. I just wanted to share with you our philosophy. We believe that everyone matters to God. Everyone. Doesn't matter where you have come from, what you were doing, even five minutes before service this morning. You matter. And we hope that the time you spend with us, you realize that, you feel that, you sense that in this place. And we believe that God has such an unending and wildly passionate love for you that uh, we would be uh, remiss to not share that with you. So thank you for being here. We have a philosophy here at Vertical Life Church. We call our guests our VIPs. You're very important people. And uh, part of our way of showing you that is we have a gift for you at the uh, VIP table. So if you didn't stop by there on the way in, please stop by on the way out, fill out a connection card, and they have a gift for you. It has some information about the church. It's, it's our swag bag. It has some other cool stuff in there that I'm sure you will enjoy, and we would appreciate you doing that. Uh, we're going to start right off the get-go, uh, right in the Word of God. We are in Psalms chapter 1. So if you have your Bible, you can turn there, or the verses will also be on the screen. And we're going to read the psalm and then say a prayer and get into our discussion today. Psalm chapter 1, verse 1, says this. My technology will work for me today. Here we go. All right. Let's see. It says, Oh, the joys of those who do not follow the advice of the wicked or stand around with sinners, or join in with mockers. But they delight in the law of the Lord, meditating on it day and night. They are like trees planted along the riverbank, bearing fruit each season. Their leaves never wither, and they prosper in all they do, but not the wicked. They are like worthless chaff scattered by the wind. They will be condemned at the time of judgment. Sinners will have no place among the godly, for the Lord watches over the path of the godly, but the path of the wicked leads to destruction. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we've opened your word, God. We've read from the scriptures, and God, we just ask in Jesus' name that you'd speak to us now. God, we've all come from different walks of life this morning. We've all had different experiences, different backgrounds, different history. But one thing remains the same, that every one of us get to heaven through Jesus Christ. God, it's through Jesus and his sacrifice on the cross, what you've accomplished for us, that we can have eternal life in God. So I just pray that through your Holy Spirit, you'd speak to our lives, God. You reveal the places in our lives that we need to surrender to you so that we can live that joyful and blessed life Jesus came to give us. Heaven wasn't just meant for eternity, but heaven can be now for those who trust in the Lord. And so I just pray in Jesus' name that you would work in this place. We gather, we're listening in the name of Christ. Amen. So we are now in our new series uh, that we started last week called Psalms. Uh, it is entitled Psalms, Songs for Your Soul. The book of Psalms is the very center of your Bible. If you have one of those big old thick family Bibles that collects dust on your uh, coffee table, if you were to flip that big bad boy open right to the middle, you're going to run into the book of Psalms. It has 150 chapters, making it the largest book. And every verse in there is a part of a song. These are songs that the nation of Israel would sing at different times of the year. And they're songs for every season. And so we're going to take a look through this series about some of my favorite songs over the years as I've led worship and, and been in Bible study to see what God has to say to us, not just to learn more about God, but to help us kind of heal our soul. 
You know, music is the sound the soul makes. It, it's said uh, through uh, study after study that singing and making music is actually a need. It's a human need to express, to allow the deep part of your emotions to come out, to have uh, a healthy soul. And so we're going to take a look at God's songs and see how they can help us heal our souls. Now, Psalm chapter 1 is the very first psalm. It sets the foundation for the rest of the book. Everything else we're going to read kind of flows out from this idea. Uh, it comes out from this plain and simple truth that true joy, you want to be joyful today? You want to experience joy? True joy, true happiness comes from trusting in the Lord. That's where it comes from. Last week, again, we talked about soul health and when we have weary souls, when we're just bogged down with negativity and, and stressed and depression, it makes it hard to feel like we have a connection with God. It makes it hard to feel like there's actually relationship happening or, or that God is even real. And it's true that for every believer, everyone who is called on the name of Jesus as their Savior, who is called on his name to receive salvation, you would call yourself a Christian. The scripture says the moment you become saved or a believer, God sends his Holy Spirit to live within you. So God makes your heart his home. And so if you think about that, that means everywhere you go, at every point of the day, God is with you. He's with you. You can't escape God. The psalmist says, it doesn't matter how deep in the ocean I go or how far across the land I run, your presence is always there. I cannot escape it. Right? His presence is always with us. God lives within you if you are in Christ. But our ability to sense his presence, to feel his presence, to be in tune with his presence, to interact with his presence can be affected by the health of our souls. Our view of life, our, our perception, all of that is affected when we have an unhealthy soul, when we're bogged down and filled with negativity, when we're stressed to the max, or even when we're battling that same old sin that just keeps creeping up time after time. Oh, I just failed again today. When those times happen, sometimes God can seem so far away. And when we try to reach out, when we try to pray, because we know praying is a good thing to do, right? And so we try to pray. Sometimes praying feels like you're just praying against a brick wall. Nothing's getting through. God's not hearing us. And the difficulty is, is when we have a heart that, with deep within us, we have a heart, the scripture says, that is deceitfully wicked. Jeremiah, the prophet, says our heart is deceitfully wicked. No one knows how really wicked it is. And so even we sit here and we think, oh, we're a really good person. We don't do anything wrong. That's our heart telling us, hey, don't worry about your mistakes. Don't worry about your shortcomings. You're a good person. Our heart tries to convince us things that aren't necessarily true. And our hearts are constantly, Scripture says, trying to pull us away from God, even though God is with us. And not only do we have a heart that tries to pull us away from God because of its wickedness, but we have a real enemy in this world. His name is Satan. And he sends us these messages. He speaks these lies that masquerade as the truth into this world to try to get us to think thoughts that are contrary to God's will. And he does that so that we will end up making decisions that reveal that the way we set up our lives are really according to our own selfish desires, our own personal wickedness, rather than our love for our Heavenly Father. 
So we have this war that we're engaged in every second of every day. Even though God's spirit is within us, his presence is within us, our hearts are pulling us away. Our enemy is pulling us away. This is the reality of each and every one of us. Verse number one of Psalms 1 says this. It says, Oh, the joys of those who do not follow the advice of the wicked or stand around with sinners or join in with mockers. That phrase, oh, the joys, oh, the joys, can also be translated from the original language, blessings or happiness. So, oh, the joys or how much you are blessed or how much blessings you can enjoy, how much happiness you can have in your life comes from those who trust in the Lord. Happiness is just as much a state of being as it is a feeling. You know, we don't always feel happy. You know, someone shoots your cat, you're not going to feel happy. The one that shot him might feel happy because cats are evil, but you might not feel so happy. Hey, that's from God. That's not from me. Just kidding. Just kidding. But, you know, you experience a loss, you might not be feeling happy, but that doesn't mean you are robbed of your happiness. Because joyful are the those that trust in the Lord. Lies and sin... The mistakes we make, the lies we believe, they diminish our connection to God that sickens our soul, which can rob us of that sense of happiness, that sense of feeling, or of feeling happy. In other words, happiness comes from godliness, not sinfulness. It comes from submitting to God, not submitting to our sinful nature. And one of the biggest lies Satan tells us in the world, and we see this play out in many different ways, is that if you would just do what you want to do, if you would just do what makes you feel happy, if you would just do what, what, what you feel like is going to satisfy you, then you will find happiness. But that's a lie. Because when we do things contrary to the word of God and to the will of God, it just adds more and more and more brokenness to our souls. And here in the word of God, God contradicts that lie, the enemy, with the truth. It's not the one who does what they want to do. It's not the one that joins in with the sinner that finds happiness. No, it is the one that walks the path of godliness. The one who in every way, every day, lives consciously engaging the presence of God and following his ways. So the question is, if happiness is found in, in following God, if happiness and the joys, this sense of happiness and this this reality of happiness comes to those who trust in God, those who walk the path of the godly. How do we walk that path? How do we go from walking our own path to walking the path of the godly? Well, scripture answers that in verse number two. Here's what the word of the Lord says. It says, they delight in the law of the Lord and they meditate on it day and night. That means all of the time. That word delight also can mean pleasure or a deep longing for. So as they delight in the law of the Lord, that means they have a longing. They have this deep sense of satisfaction or pleasure when they're in the word of God. They delight. That delight drives the godly. It drives them not away from God as their heart and the enemy would, would, would choose for them. It drives them into the word of God to read it, to absorb it, to ponder it, to dwell on it, to meditate on it day and night. The Apostle Paul, speaking to the Romans, Romans chapter 12, verse 2, this is what the Apostle Paul says to the church of Rome. He says, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, 
But let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Do you know you can become a different person? You know that? Do you know that to be true? I mean, think about who you are right now. Think about all your issues, all your struggles, all your shortcomings, all the things that make you feel like you're never going to get this right. I keep doing the same old dumb thing over and over and over and over again. I keep letting people down in the same way over and over again. You know, people say, and I'm sure you've heard it before, people say people don't what? Change. People never change. Right? We've heard that. That's, that's very common to hear. And that's so discouraging because I'm willing to bet 100% of the people in this room have something about themselves they'd like to what? Change. So if people never change, that's kind of discouraging because we all have something about ourselves we'd like to change. But see, God's word says, and the truth is, people do change and can change. You don't have to stay the same person that you are. You can become something new. So what Paul is saying here, he's saying that the goal of every one of us as followers of Jesus Christ is not to stay who we are, but to transform into something new, to make a change, to go through a metamorphosis like a caterpillar into a butterfly, so to speak. We're to make this everlasting change, and the process God has given us to be able to make that change, what he's laid for us out here in the scripture to become who he's made us to be is to renew our minds through the word of God, to be transformed. You see, our minds are like a sponge. They're like a sponge. And each one of us, because of our sinful nature in this sinful world, we wake up at a deficit. We wake up dry, like a dried out sponge. Dried out sponges are rock hard. You tap them, they're like bricks on the table, right? That's how we wake up. And so the moment from the time we wake up, we start absorbing things. We start absorbing. And because we're born into a sin-cursed world, we've got a sin-cursed flesh, our minds begin to, and our imaginations begin to, and our thoughts begin to absorb all the lies and the wickedness of this world. Paul calls that the philosophies and customs. They absorb these messages, these expectations, these desires, these lies. And then our own mind and our own heart take over to help conjure up even more deceitful and sinful thoughts to fill our sponge back up. And the problem with that is, is that what begins in the mind eventually plays out in behavior. What starts as a seed in the mind will grow out to your action, to your behavior. When I think about this, this concept, this principle, it always brings me back to dieting. You know, I've had, uh, you know, and one of my favorite comedians back in the day was uh, Chris Farley. And uh, one of his famous lines from his movies was like, he has a little bit of a weight problem, you know. And uh, he's just a big guy. And, and, and that's kind of been my struggle. I've always wanted to be in shape, but uh, never really had the dedication and commitment to, to become Arnold Schwarzenegger. But uh, uh, I always wanted to be the ripped guy and, and be tough and stuff, but I just like eating way too much. And so it's always been my thing. But uh, what, I've been on many different diets. I've been on the protein diets. I've been on the whole foods diets. I've been on the vegan diets. I've been on, I mean, you name it, I've, been, I've done it. And, uh, you know, when you're on a diet, 
it restricts what kind of foods you're allowed to have for that diet to work. And uh, they, they give you all this scientific information, makes you feel like a, a doctor of chemistry at the same time you're doing, uh, you're eating because they, all the science is behind it. But um, they restrict what you're allowed to eat when you're on a diet. And so for, for me, like at, at the beginning of a diet, I'm all gung-ho. I'm like, yes, I'm going to do this. I'm dedicated. I'm committed. This is going to happen. And, uh, and so I'm just like, yes. And I usually start off pretty well, and, and it lasts for a little while. But I'm at the age now where I've got four children, and they all have friends. And any given time, there could be a birthday party around, you know, the corner that we're expected to go to, especially if it's someone in the church. And if you don't show up, you're evil. So you got to go. You got to go. You're the pastor. You're coming to the birthday party. So here, that's the way it is. And uh, so we get to the party. And before I get there, I had this talk with myself. And I'm like, self, you don't need any sweets. You don't need anything. You, you just stay healthy, stay the course, keep on the diet. Just focus on what you know you're supposed to do. You can do this. You're strong. And so I'm going into the, the party. I'm like, yes, we're going to do this. this is, I'm going to be okay. And all of a sudden... Out of the corner of my eye, I see cake. And so I have to kind of get with myself again and say, self, you're not having any cake. You don't need any cake. It's not on the diet. You're not doing that. And I feel good about that. But then something happens. Myself answers back. And myself says, but it would be so good to have some cake, right? And now I'm not really like a cake person, but I am a frosting guy. I love the frosting. I'm the guy that takes the corner piece because then you get monster frosting on each side, you know, and like even scrape wrong the outside of the cake where all the people that are too good for the frosting leave their frosting on the, on the thing. That, that's me. And so, and so I'm thinking, oh, that frosting looks so good. Look, it's all piled up. Oh, man, it would be so good. And then I have to come back and be like, no, no, it's not on my diet. I don't need that. If I eat that, it's going to set me back. You know, the reason why I'm the way I am is because I've had cake every time I saw it. I don't need the cake. It's just one time, and so I'm feeling good. And then myself answers back again. It says, oh, it's just to have a small piece. Have a small piece. It's just a small piece. A small piece isn't going to hurt you. You'll just burn that off when you work out. It's not going to be that big a deal. And I'll be like, no, no, I'm not going to have it. I'm not going to have it. And it's like, oh, come on. It's not going to hurt you. It's just one time. And then my words begin to change. Instead of like, I'm not going to have that, I start saying, well, I shouldn't have that. And if you've ever told yourself you shouldn't have something, what you're really saying is you're going to do it anyway. You just know it's bad for you. You've already compromised when you say I should. And that's why I just like, oh, I shouldn't have that. And then you're like, but yeah, you want to. And I'm like, yeah, you know, I do want to. And, and this is what's going on in my mind. And then when the moment of truth comes, when someone comes by and offers me a piece of cake... Instead of no, I say, yes. Yes, I'll have that piece of cake. And you see, that mental exchange is how we give into temptation, not just in the areas of food, but in all areas of our lives. In all areas of our lives. We hear the thoughts of our heart. We hear the thoughts of the enemy. We hear the philosophies and customs of the world, the way the world tells us we should live our lives, the way the world says we need to uh, find our satisfaction. And because we listen to that negativity and those lies more than the truth of God, over time, our spiritual strength is whittled down to the point we actually start believing the lies more than the truth of God. Oh, the Bible can't be true. This is my experience. Oh, that's not relative to today, but that's for ancient people. We're evolved. 
beyond that. We start believing our enemy over the truth of God to the point that when that moment of truth comes and we're provided opportunity, we fall. We succumb to sin. And that sin opens the door in our lives for the enemy to bring more hurt and more pain, more frustration, more consequences, more struggle, and in turns whittles down the health of our soul. Paul told the Romans that we need to renew our minds. Why? Because we started that deficit. So from morning, the first moment we wake up out of our beds, we need to be renewing our minds, meditating on his word day and night to change the way we think. To stop thinking with a worldly mindset and start thinking with a heavenly mindset. See, if we want to stop being what we are and become what God desires for us to be, if we want to live lives that please God and put us in the center of his blessing, because lives lived outside of the will of God lead to sick souls and heavy burdens, but a life lived inside the will of God leads to true happiness, then we need to be renewed by the scripture, renewed by the truth, so that what's inside begins to manifest itself on the outside. Verse 2 says the godly, the happy ones, the ones overflowing with joy, not just feeling happy, but experiencing that, that, that reality of happiness are the ones that delight in the word of God. And why do they delight in the word of God? It's because Jesus said if you remain in the truth, the truth will set you free. They delight in this word because they know it's the key to their freedom. It's not a chore. It's not a religious duty. It's a lifeline. It's a priority. It's an extreme necessity. So not only am I in the word of God every day, but I'm thinking about it. I'm applying it. So I can also encourage others with it and allow them to encourage me with it. So that when the moment of truth comes and Satan provides me that opportunity to sin, I'll have the strength to stand and discern what is right. I won't be found among the three categories we see here in Psalm chapter 1, verse 1. The first of the categories is this. I won't be found among those who follow the advice of the wicked. The advice of the wicked, that's the philosophies and customs of the world Paul was talking about. These are false truths of the enemy. This is the imaginations of the wickedness of my heart. These are the arguments that we hear that would lead us away from following the word of God, from following the scripture and believing in its truth. These are the, the ideas, these are the arguments, these are the thoughts that give us excuses that we desire to justify why we don't follow his word. Or feel like we can pick and choose the parts that we like. Oh, that doesn't really line up with what I want, so I'll just not read that chapter and I'll just skip over here and, and follow this one because this makes me feel better. See, if I'm in his word, if I'm studying it, if I'm digesting it, if I'm absorbing it into my soul, with the help of the Holy Spirit that's already there, I'll be able to discern the lies from the truth. And because I'll believe the truth, I'll choose God's way for my life over the ways of the world. The second category is that I also won't be standing around with sinners. Now, if you think about Jesus' life, you might say, well, didn't Jesus stand around with some sinners? Wasn't he always being yelled at for hanging out with people that were considered sinners? Well, the psalmist here isn't talking about what Jesus did. This is not leading, like engaging people who are far from God to try to lead them into a relationship with their heavenly father. That's not what this phrase is getting at. What we have to understand here 
is that the phrase standing around with sinners in the original language is more of a stance of defiance. You know, we talk about following God's ways or, or following the way of God. This is what uh, the standing around with sinners is. It's standing with them in defiance against something. To stand up or against something in this context, against essentially what is right. Standing around with sinners is not just hanging out with them to build relationship for the kingdom. It's actually hanging out with them and participating in what they're doing. Being counted among their group. Siding with them in defiance of what God says. In defiance, living a life of rebellion against God's will for you. So when you're filled with his truth, when you're absorbing the truth of God... You will be like what David says in Psalm 119.11. He says, I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. If you're being filled with the truth, you're being renewed day after day, you are not going to be found in defiance against the Lord. Standing around with sinners, you're going to know what side is right. And the right side is the winning side, the victorious side, the side of Christ Jesus our Lord. You're going to be on the Lord's side. Number three, the third category we see here in Psalm 1-1 is that when we're filled with the truth, we won't be joining in with the mockers. A mocker is an overly self-assured, arrogant, prideful person thinking that your way is better than God's way. Have you ever had a thought, like you're reading through this scripture and you ever hear or dis discuss the word of God with someone and, and hear the... That, that phrase or that thought that, oh, the Bible's kind of old school. We don't do things like that anymore. It's ancient history. It doesn't really apply today. God can't expect us to live up to uh, the social and moral expectations of the Scripture anymore because we're more advanced than that. We've come beyond that. That, does, that was a different culture for a different time. You know, we hear these arguments and, 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 and attitudes in our world today. Have you ever had a negative attitude about something you've read in the Word of God and thought, you know, I just don't really agree with that? You see, when we think we know more or we know better, when our attitude is that God must not mean what he says, like he just got that wrong or he doesn't really understand my situation, so that doesn't really apply to me, we take on a defiant attitude. And that attitude can lead to a scoffer's life or a mocker's life. You see, you don't have to say anything to be a mocker. You can mock God just by the way you live. You can mock him just by the way you live your life. Galatians chapter 6, verse 7, Paul told the church of Galatia, he says, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. You can't mock God. Mockers will realize one day the consequences of their mockery. Just like a farmer reaps the, the crop of what he sows into the field, so we too will reap the results of the actions and attitudes we sow into the world. The decisions we make that are contrary to the will and word of God will one day be produced in our lives. Attitudes that lead and actions that lead and that are contrary to his word will produce a life of hardship, of struggle, strained relationships, emotional baggage, a life that leads to an unhealthy soul. Mockers reap what they sow. But the good news is, is so does the godly. The godly also reap what they sow. I know it's, sometimes it's really hard. It's really hard to keep doing what's right. You ever feel like that? Sometimes you just wake up and you're like, ah, I'm not feeling it today. 
That guy cut me off. Oh, do I say a prayer for him or do I show him something? You know, you just don't, you just wake up and we're just being real. This is church, right? We're telling the truth. Sometimes you just don't feel like being good. Sometimes it's hard to stay motivated and stay faithful, especially when your boss is time after time after time getting on that last nerve. It's hard sometimes to trust God's word is true when you don't have any money left in your account and you've got five bills that are past due and God said he's going to provide and yet you still don't got nothing. Sometimes it's hard to keep believing, to stay faithful. Especially when you see people who are perceivably or obviously anti-Christ in their life. They don't believe in God or follow God. And they seem to be doing much better than you. Oh, the godly are blessed. The wicked are cursed. But yet, the stars in Hollywood seem to be doing pretty well. Yet sometimes as a Christian, you can feel like being a Christian is making life harder for you. Oh, I can't spend my money that way. I have to spend it this way. Oh, I can't have that kind of relationship. I have to have this kind of relationship. Oh, I can't go see this. I can only watch this. You can feel like being a Christian is making things harder, and it would be easier just to give up and be like everyone else. You see, that's a lie Satan would want you to believe. Psalm 37, verses 1 and 2 says this. It says, don't worry about the wicked or envy those who do wrong, for like grass, they soon fade away. Like spring flowers, they soon Wither. In other words, the wicked may have their day in the sun, but a day is going to come when all their works will be revealed, when all their works will be tried by fire and be found meaningless because nothing they do or produce in this life will be enough to earn them their salvation or follow them into eternity. Their righteousness is not righteous enough. Psalm 1, verse 4 says, But not the wicked, they are like worthless chaff scattered by the wind. They will be condemned at the time of judgment. Sinners will have no place among the godly. For the Lord watches over the path of the godly, but the path of the wicked leads to destruction. Unlike the popular, popular belief, good works don't get you into heaven. There's only one name under heaven whereby we must be saved. There's only one way to the Father, and that is through Jesus Christ. It's through Jesus. It doesn't matter how much good a person does or success they accomplish for in this life. Apart from God, it's meaningless. It's worthless. See, the wicked might be richly blessed now, but in eternity, they're going to struggle. And the righteous might be struggling now, but in eternity, they're going to be richly blessed. There's no purpose for being jealous over the blessings of the wicked, for your reward in heaven far exceeds and will forever outlast anything they can hope to enjoy today. I think of here recently in the news, Brad Pitt and Angelina Jolie have announced they're going to divorce. If you think about this couple, they're extremely wealthy, extremely popular, extremely successful. They are touted as one of Hollywood's power couples, so everyone was envious of them in their life. Angelina Jolie does a lot of humanitarian things, uh, goes to different countries to fight for, uh, you know, orphans and, and the like. They've adopted several kids. They seem to have everything this world says we should aspire to be. But yet it's revealed just this past week their lives are a wreck. You see, the blessings of the wicked are false blessings. They rise 
and they fall. In eternity, they will perish into dust. And the scary part of Psalms 1, verse 6, is that it implies God leaves the wicked to their own devices as they walk their own path. God says, you want to go that way? All right, I'm going to be over here. Whatever happens, happens. That's scary to me. But he says the path of the righteous has a guardian. The path of the righteous has a protector, the savior of their souls. And he guards us because he has a greater purpose and plan for all who fear him. God tells us about the righteous uh, in Psalm 1-3. He says they are like trees planted along the riverbank, bearing fruit in each season. His plan for you, his purpose for you is you, for you to be fruitful. He says their leaves never wither and they prosper in all they do. See, the righteous are connected to God. Jesus is that river of life. He is our sustainer. He is our source. And if we're absorbing the truth, if we're living according to his will, we will be connected to that source of strength and grow into a steadfast plant, a plant that will bear much fruit, hand in hand. See, the plant represents a spiritually healthy life, and the fruit of the righteous represents their good works and their blessings. And here in verse 3 of Psalm chapter 1, according to God, he says, when you are connected to the river, you're bearing fruit, your leaves will never wither. Think about that for just a moment. This illustration was actually uh, produced uh, this week because uh, as I was preparing my message, I noticed over on my desk, and my daughter had some flashcards. There were science flashcards uh, from uh, her class that she has to flip through to learn some definitions and, and whatnot. And on there was a, a word, and it just kind of brought this passage to life for me. So if you think of a leaf, did you know leaves aren't actually green? Leaves get their color from a chemical called chlorophyll. We bringing back fifth grade science? You tracking with me? Right? Leaves get their color from chlorophyll. And this chemical, according to our scientists, is not only responsible for making the color green, but it's also the primary agent for photosynthesis, which basically is a big word that says it converts light into energy for the plant. A withered leaf is absent of chlorophyll. It's dead. It cannot provide any resources to sustain the health of the plant. And here the psalm is telling us that a person who trusts in God by faith is filled with this truth, follows his ways on the path of the righteous, is a person that will never have withered leaves. That tells us we will never be without the resources we need to have the power to live a victorious life and the power to continue to produce the good works and receive the blessings God has in store. Having leaves that never wither indicate that your soul will never take ill to the point of death. You will never be too weak. You will never be defeated. And the legacy God has prepared for you will never be compromised. And look what else it says in verse 3. It says, the righteous will prosper in all they do. Will prosper. That's a strong word. That word prosper doesn't imply we will never struggle. In the original language, this word for prosper can also be interpreted makes progress, advances, pushes 
forward. And I love the imagery that that speaks to us and what this word conveys. It conveys that no matter what storms we face, like the tree planted by the rivers of water that has strong roots, we will stand and weather every storm. As we follow the path of the righteous, no matter what this world brings our way, we are going to push through our struggles. We're going to push through our trials. We're going to push through our failures. We're going to get through our past. We're going to overcome our pain. And as, and as we push through, as we prosper through following God and trusting in his ways, we are going to see God use every one of our experiences to create something beautiful in our lives. The fruit that's produced on the trees planted by the rivers of water. We're going to see the beauty that's created from the pain. And when this happens, when we look back and we see all God has done, all that he's brought us through, all that he's produced in our lives, there will be a song that rises up in our hearts. And it will go like this. Oh, the joys of those who do not follow the advice of the wicked or stand around with sinners or join in with mockers, but they delight in the law of the Lord, meditating on it day and night. So what song has your heart been singing recently? What songs are flowing out of your heart and into your life? Is it what joy that comes from those who don't follow the advice of the wicked, but love the word of the Lord? Or have you been singing a different tune? Like, it's okay, God, I got it under control. I'll deal with the consequences when they come. See, I think for many of us, though we wouldn't like to admit it, I think the latter song more appropriately describes what tune that plays on the record player of our hearts. We would rather trust in our own wisdom. We would rather follow our own path. We'd rather do what makes us feel good. And the problem is, is that we wear the scars from those choices every single day. But the good news is that God is a God of second chances. He's a God of mercy. He's a God of unfailing love. And when you repent of your sins and turn to Jesus, he not only hits the stop button on that record player, but he erases the old record. Colossians 2.14 says he canceled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. What Christ has accomplished on the cross for us is a chance for a second chance. The chance to become a new person. See, the more you get to know his word and apply it, the more you get to know him and his heart. And the more you know him, the more you will begin to trust him as you see his faithfulness play out in your life. And the more you trust him, the more you will want to follow him. And the more you follow him, the more you will realize how blessed you really are. Oh, the joys. Oh, the blessings of those who trust in the Lord. The questions to think through today as you gather around your lunch table or if you get together with your community groups. So think of this. Number one, are you jealous of the wicked or are you hungry for his word? Number two, do you want the rich and satisfying life that leads to legacy or do you want fast blessings that only satisfy for a moment? And number three, what influences do you need to let go of today so you can begin renewing your life with his truth? See, the first step in healing your soul is to stop inviting sickness into it. To get into his word. Find out how you should be thinking, how you should be living, and begin holding fast to that truth as you begin to walk the path of the godly.
Maybe you're here today and you've never actually accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You've never begun a relationship with him. You need to make that decision today. The first step into new life is to trusting Jesus, to call upon his name for salvation, to trust in his death and resurrection and declare him as your Lord and Savior. You need to call out to him today to begin that renewal process, that healing process for your soul. And maybe you're here today and your faith has never really been real. You wanted it to be, you pretend it is, but you've consistently gone your own way. Today is the day you get real with God and put him on the throne of your heart and choose today to begin walking the path of the godly. Just a moment as we stand and sing together. As God begins to work in your heart, I'm gonna ask you, those of you that need to make a decision for Christ, Christ, I'm going to invite you to take a step of faith today. And as we look down and see this first row of seats, I'm going to invite you to turn this area into an old-fashioned altar, to just come and get quiet before the Lord. Those of you that need to begin a relationship with him, come and pray and ask him to forgive you of your sins and declare him today as your Lord and Savior. The scripture says you will receive new life. Those of you that have been pretending, have been going your own way, come down and lay your life down at his feet and say, no more, Lord, I trust in you and I commit to following you today. Those of you that have been struggling and having a hard time holding on to faith, begin counting your blessings today. Look at what God has actually brought into your life and start thanking him for all he's done. And then expectantly thank him for what he has yet to do in your life. If you need healing for your soul, you've just been bogged down in negativity. Today is the day you begin to renew your mind and see your life through a different lens. Let's all bow our heads and close our eyes in this place today. As we get quiet before the Lord, my challenge for us today as a church is to stay on the path of the righteous. For that path is protected by God. That path leads to God. And that path leads to eternal joy and blessing. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I just pray for our church today, for everyone gathered in this place. Whatever is going on in their life, whatever is, whatever situation they've been encountering, whatever struggle they've been going through, God, I pray today would be the day of second chances of turning over a new leaf, God, of new life being sprung up. God, for those that have never accepted Jesus as their Lord and Savior, I pray that they would pray just a simple prayer, even a prayer like this. Father in heaven, forgive me of my sins. Come live in my heart and save me. I trust in Jesus as my Lord and Savior. God, whatever they need to do, I pray that they would respond to the word today. God, that healing would begin in the hearts of those that have been so dry for so long. We just pray this in Jesus' name.